0: Happy Mother's Day. It's great to be with all of you this morning, and we actually have three mothers sitting here today. We have Linda Bartlett and Jessica Gilbert and Sharon Mizell with us, but we also have a few others. Um, I've had a few questions about why have you not included ladies when you introduce some of these uh, the last few weeks, and... Um, it goes back to mama didn't raise a fool but having said that this morning we and you know honoring mothers wanted to introduce a few of the other mothers who are with us today as well as others so we have with us today uh, Debbie White. Debbie it's great you could be with us this morning happy Mother's Day to you and then we also have Joan Eubanks. Joan Eubanks is with us today and Really appreciate you uh, being here, Joan, being such a good sport. I knew using you and Debbie, I wouldn't get a black eye. So uh, happy Mother's Day to both of you. And then we have with us Kevin Landers and his son Noah. Kevin and his son uh, Noah are with us today. And then uh, one more mother that's included to hear, in here, but um, with her husband, Earl and Susan Dunn are with us today. And so Earl and Susan, we're so glad you could be with us uh, this morning And then just a few others. We have Taylor Cooper with us today. Taylor, thank you for being with us this morning. We're glad you could make it. And then we also have Andy Eubanks. This is Joan's husband. We pray for Joan, don't we? So um, we are thankful for Andy uh, being with us this morning. And finally, a very special guest we have with us today, uh, Mr. Chris Laughlin. Chris, we're thrilled you could be here today. I owe you several, so... Good morning, Chris and family. It's good to be with all of you this morning. All right, as we transition uh, to the scriptures from that, um, the Lord brought my mind to um, the story of Hannah. And just two verses, but these two verses are so powerful as, as Hannah reflects on the goodness of the Lord um, in providing Samuel. It just really um, ministered to me as I was reading back through this in chapter one, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight. I want you to listen to the words of of uh, scripture. Listen to this: For this boy, I prayed. Hannah said, "For this boy, I prayed, and asked the and excuse me, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of Him." So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. That's, that's a little phrase there that probably needs um, some thought for mothers. Um, dedicating your children to the Lord. Um, that's not a simple thing because you're, in essence, saying, Lord, um, they're yours. They're yours. And while they are gifts from the Lord, children are, for a mother, I always tell uh, young people when I'm counseling them, in premarital counseling, we get to the topic of children, I always tell the the fathers to be, hopefully in the future, with their wife-to-be, that if the Lord blessed them with kids, that the fathers are nine months behind. And I think that's something that needs to be thought through. Um... The bond that goes on between a mother and her child while the child's in her womb, I mean, that's special. There's no father that can identify with that. And so, just to think about that whole issue of dedicating your children to the Lord, that's not just for mothers, that's also for fathers. Fathers need to dedicate their children to the Lord. So she said, for this boy I prayed and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. And look at this, as long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. You know, you're not given, um, when you give birth to that child, mothers, you're not given a calendar of how long that child lives. You don't know the number of their days. And so whatever their days whether it's a week or a month or a year or five years or 25 years um, the importance of dedicating your child to the lord i mean is emphasized twice just in this very short section and so how important is it i remember a story uh listening to a story one time of a a mother testifying that she had given her, her uh, boy uh, to the Lord when, when he was first born. And she said, yeah, my husband and I, when he was born, we gave him to the Lord. And then when he was about 17 or 18 years old, um, he wanted to meet with his mom and dad, kind of a, one of those serious meetings, you know. And, and so they sat in the den and they're having a conversation. He said, I've got something I want to tell you. I really believe the Lord wants me to go on the mission field. Well, now that's a challenge, isn't it? Because remember what is said here, I've also dedicated dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. And so there's just this mindset that no matter where the Lord leads our children, we're to release our children to the Lord and trust the Lord in that. And so I just want to say to all you mothers, happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a wonderful day. I know the Lord blessed me with a terrific mother. Uh, You'll hear more about her toward the end of the message this morning. But I thank the Lord for all you mothers and husbands uh, and children. Make sure you appreciate uh, those in your home today. All right. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin our service this morning. Father, thank you so much. That we have the privilege to come this morning um, to worship you. I pray that we've prepared ourselves for this time. That um, wherever we happen to be this morning, whether here in this building or whether at home, um, wherever within the home that that people are viewing today or listening today. I just pray that we're really prepared to, to, to worship you. And that the service this morning will be all about you and all about what you've done for us. All about what you do for us. All about what you will do for us. Your promises are true. And you're faithful. And we can depend on those promises And so I just um, am so thankful that I can be here this morning. I Thank you for the health that you've given me to be able to stand here today. For the health you've given all these guys that are in this room today to be able to participate. Um, We just thank you so much for how you're taking care of us. We anticipate in a couple of weeks being able to meet together. We're looking forward to that. And it's going to be a little different, Lord. So I, I pray that you would help us to be patient with one another and to think of others before we think of ourselves. Um we, we're just, Lord, you've called us to a different kind of life. Uh, we, we live in a culture that is very selfish. And so for us to be selfless is, that's kind of a message that doesn't make sense to a lot of folks. But, Lord, that's what you've called us to. And so I pray that you would help us in that. Um, help us to be a selfless people. That um, we would, um, through our lives, uh, demonstrate that we belong to you. And I thank you for this morning. I pray that you would um, be with us now as we worship you in song and around the word and that you would be honored in all that's done. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.
1: Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save us. Punch me to victory, beneath the cleansing
2: flood. I don't know if you remember from last week, at the end of the service, uh, Thad read us, or at the end of his sermon, read us uh, the words to victory in Jesus. And there's so many of these songs that we sing, so many of these old hymns, uh, even if you're a hymn fan or you're not, if you'll sit there and read through some of these words, they're just tremendous. And I just felt like that was a good way of starting our service because every day, every day is victory. And for us who know the Lord, it's because of who Jesus Christ is. And speaking of that, uh, the next song we're going to be doing, t- it talks about drawing near to God. And I do know one thing is the only way we can draw near to God is only through the, the death in in the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because you know back in the Old Testament the Levitical law really did not allow people to draw near to God you had to have a high priest you had to have an imperfect person that had to cleanse themselves and wash themselves and do all these ceremonial things to be able to go stand before the Lord so people didn't really have the same access as we do today and we're so thankful that we can draw near to him that we can enter that holy of holies because of what Christ did on the cross and his resurrection. And we can enter that, and we can go to him for anything throughout our life, and we can have that close relationship with him. I'd like for you to listen to the words of this song, It's Jesus, Draw Me Nearer. The guide
1: me through the tempest keep my spirit
2: just thank you this morning that you have never forsaken us you have never left us and god we just pray that you would just be with us during this time right now during this time that we're of quarantine during this time of uh, staying in place and all these things that we're having to do father uh, because of this virus lord help us to continue to draw nearer to you and lord just stay near to you lord i know that this is the heart of the christian is to be near to you. And, Lord, we just thank you that you made a way for us to be near you. Father, I pray for Jessica as she comes and she sings a special song for us right now. And, Lord, uh, just uh, be with her and uh, help her to get the words out that she wants to sing. And as Thad comes and brings a message, Lord, just make this a special time of worship and praise for you. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
3: I recently finished this song during quarantine of all times, right? <laughs> and um, it's been a long time since I wrote a song that the lord's given me, and I wondered, as I was writing this, how do you always express um, the thoughts and the meditations that the Lord has given to you and I was talking with Linda earlier and just how much this song means to me and how much the words have, honestly, most of them, especially in the verses, are parts of Scripture, and a lot of them have been etched on my heart throughout most of my life. But still, even in the midst of knowing Jesus for majority of my life and having a personal relationship with him, I still can put God in a box. And I struggle to think about him as always being true to all of his characteristics all of the time. My husband preached a message years ago that reminded me that God is always true to all of his characteristics all of the time. And I started wondering, what does that mean? Because most of my life I have spent fearing God. Most of my life I have felt unworthy. And I should, right? Because he's holy and he's just. He's a God of judgment. Oh, but he's more than that. At the same time, he's still the God of grace. He cannot deny who he is. He's still the God of mercy. He never changes, even when my circumstances change, he's still good. Even when I feel alone, he's still there. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. And when all this world around us exposes who we really are, he sees us. There's a verse in Genesis where Hagar is outcasted and she's claiming that he is the God who sees. So I pray that this song is a blessing to you. As a friend reminded me that words and music can heal us, but it's really a heart of worship. So I invite you to worship with me this morning.
4: is me and I am left with nothing. You still see me cause you
0: you, Jessica. We appreciate your ministry through the song you wrote and a powerful message for all of us uh, to consider. All right, well, to this point, we've had fried bologna. We've had minnow cheese with the bacon. So for today, Mother's Day, my suggestion to you would be that the children along with the husbands, if available, cook for the moms today. But in case you're struggling, like, you know, maybe struggling with something to come up with today, I did put down a suggestion for you. I love hamburgers. So this is kind of a maybe a selfish suggestion, but I love hamburgers. So my suggestion to you would be make you a big old hamburger. Put some great cheese on there, preferably pepper jack. That's the best. Gives you a little bite. Then get you some onion with some tomato and have a wonderful day. How about that? Um, mothers, I do hope you have a great day. This morning we're going to continue our study in 2 Timothy. So I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy in the first chapter, yes, we are still in the first chapter, but that's OK. Um, I trust that by the end of this chapter you'll be here in this room uh, with, with us. Um, we're just going to take a look at this morning at verse 12, and I kind of want to remind us of where we have been uh, before we start uh, our discussion this morning. Um, This is what's gone on to this point. Uh, Paul, in verse 8, you remember, told Timothy by way of instruction, by way really of of command, um, do not be ashamed. Okay, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. You remember that? He talked about that issue. That's really the the verse that kind of controls this whole section. Um, Paul gives Timothy this instruction. And remember the context of the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is imprisoned. He's in a dungeon. He's about ready to die. He wants Timothy to continue on the course. You know, he doesn't want him to um, go by the wayside. And so he's very concerned that, that Timothy would stay on the course, that he would finish what the Lord uh, had started in him. And, you know, that's a really good thought for us, that we would finish the course. That God has set forth in our lives and that we would not be ashamed of the Lord or of being identified with other believers. Um, It's hard to imagine that, I think, for some of us, but that can happen. Um, And then we talked about, uh, we started talking about Paul's argument uh, to Timothy to keep from being ashamed. You know, what are these things that you can do, Timothy, that you can focus on in order that you wouldn't be ashamed of the Lord or of me? Uh, And so he first, remember, we looked at the issue in verses 6 and 7 of of Paul encouraging Timothy, hey, look, keep using your gift. Keep using your gift. And I don't want you to forget this, guys. This is a tremendous, tremendous instruction. Because if we're using our gift, you know where the focus is? It's on others. That's where it is. Um, And it's really easy. And it could have been for Timothy to really get focused on circumstances. You know, Nero's in power, Christians are suffering. I really don't know if I want to be a part of that, right? I think sometimes we make these characters out like they aren't real. They were real people, uh, real feelings, real emotions. And so uh, fear was obviously something that could happen. And um, Paul's like, hey, look, in order to combat that, keep using your gift. Keep using your gift that God has given you. Um, And I said, look, if you guys are frustrated in your own life and you're not quite sure what your spiritual gift is i'd love to sit down and talk with you george would be happy to do that the elders we're here and we're available we want you to function in what god has has given you and so paul says to timothy hey look to keep from being ashamed use your gift and then he says this is the second one he says "Uh, to keep from being ashamed join the team of suffering well that's that's a pretty strong statement there but he makes the statement that he wants Timothy to join the team. And you remember the language was, do it now. You know, don't wait, do it now. Uh, We live in a culture of wait and see. But Paul is telling Timothy, do it now, don't wait, don't wait. And then we've been breaking down Paul's argument to Timothy for joining the team. And so You remember we said that first week, um, join the team knowing the Lord is in control. Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. He says, I'm his prisoner. He's the one that's in control. And that's a great reminder for all of us who go through trials and tribulations and sufferings that the Lord is on the throne and that nothing happens in our lives that he he doesn't know about. He's all-knowing right? And, and it passes through his hands. And some of the things that he allows in our lives in terms of suffering, we, we struggle to understand. We do. But at the end of the day, we have to say, hey, Lord, you're Lord. There's one of you, right? Um, and so he says, look, join the team knowing the Lord is in control. And then last week, I think we, we just unraveled one of the greatest texts in the New Testament, <laughs> Uh, join the team, knowing our salvation is amazing. It's outstanding. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. Whatever word you want to use, it's amazing and secure. And you could, I mean, you could say, well, Paul could just close the argument there for joining the team, but but he doesn't. And he continues. He has another point that he wants to make to Timothy, and he tells him. He says, look, join the team, knowing. I'm on the team. Don't miss the order of this, okay? As he's arguing to join the team, for Timothy to join the team, he begins with who? He begins with the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, and the salvation that we have through the Lord. That's where he begins with Timothy. But he wraps up his argument by focusing on his own life of suffering. Some might read this verse 12 and look at it and go, well, Paul's being pretty, you know, selfish or pretty prideful, but he's doing anything but that. I mean, it was all about Christ for Paul. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord, right? I mean, that was Paul's theme. But there are some that might look at this verse and look at the personal pronouns. I mean, how many times does he use the word I in here versus just the verses before? And a person can get caught up with thinking, well, you know, Paul's trying to, to put himself really high on a pedestal. But when you look at it, that's not what Paul's doing at all. In fact, again, he's continuing to focus on the Lord, which is right. Which is right. Um, so let's read verse 12 together. Look in your Bibles what it says. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things... But I am am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. All right, so let's break it down together. Um, Let's look at this verse uh, together. Uh, Paul, as as he argues this point, Uh, informs Timothy that as a member of the team, first of all, he says, Timothy, I'm suffering. Notice the first part of that verse. For this reason, I also suffer these things. And so immediately, any good student says, what reason? You know, what reason? Well, Paul's just talked about that in the previous verses. For the reason that I am attached to the gospel of Christ... For the reason that I am a preacher, for the reason I am an apostle, for the reason I am a teacher of the gospel, that's why I'm suffering. You know, interestingly, um, you can see it there in your text, Paul doesn't use the past tense, does he? What does he say? I suffer these things. He uses it present tense. Present tense means, hey, Timothy... As I'm pinning these words in a dungeon, I'm suffering. I'm suffering for the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, You know, you think about the suffering that goes on around the world today for the gospel. And you have some that are martyred, right? All the way to being martyred for their faith. Um, Then you just have persecution. I don't know in the United States how much we could say we suffer for the gospel. But as I was thinking about it this week, I think there are two things going on. First of all, um, I think we're kind of being singled out, right? I think that's going on. I think there's a little bit of isolation. We might want to use that word. Isolation of Christians. And with isolation comes persecution, and yeah, that's going to happen. I don't think it's like this full-fledged thing going on yet. But but you have isolation that takes place. And you do have, at times, verbal persecution for your faith. Physical persecution, um, I don't know that that's arrived so much on the scene here. But I think it's coming. I think it's right around the corner. Especially you look at the events of what what's going on in our world today. Um... You can see how God's plan is just unfolding. And I think it's really going to mean something. Not that it doesn't now. But I think it's really going to mean something for someone to say these words. I stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what was going on here in Paul and Timothy's world. Um, And that's why the Apostle Paul was suffering. So I got to thinking about it. And I was like, okay. What was Paul's attitude in his suffering? You know, it's one thing to say, hey, look, those folks over there are suffering, and these folks over there are suffering, and this little group over here is suffering. But how's that attitude? I don't know. The Lord just brought me to that. So when he brings me to it, i got to bring you to it, right? You're part of that. Well, um, there's a verse in Colossians that I think really kind of summarizes Paul's attitude. This letter to to the church at Colossae was written about two to four years before uh, the letter of 2 Timothy. But I want you to notice um, the attitude of Paul. (laughs) He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. You almost have to read that five or six times to go, huh? Now I rejoice in my sufferings. All of us have had a toothache at one time or another. And we probably have labeled that suffering. It's obviously not suffering for the gospel, but we can be suffering with a toothache. You know what Paul's saying here? I rejoice in my sufferings for you as a church. For the church. For your sake. The selflessness of Paul just oozes off the pages. He was a selfless man. His boasting was in the Lord. And he makes this statement... Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. What a perspective to have. You know what Paul's saying there? I have an eternal perspective. My perspective is for your sake, for your ministry, for what's going on in your life right now. Notice he says, And in my flesh I I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. which brought me to a time in Paul's life um, that all of you know about. You read this story probably a hundred times, some of you. But can I encourage you to do something? Don't ever let the illustrations of Scripture um, diminish in your mind. Don't ever go, well, I've already read all that. That happens to Christians, by the way. I've read that, I've studied that. You know How important is that? But I think in the context of what Paul's talking about here, with Timothy, and, and thinking about our own lives, that we don't know what's around the corner. How many times do I need to remind all of us of that? We don't know what's around the corner, but we know who's around the corner. In Acts 16, you remember the story of Paul and Silas. Do you remember in Acts 16 that Paul and Silas were stretched in the in the torturous stocks and beaten with rods? They were isolated, and they were persecuted, and they were put in jail. And you remember what took place, right? The earthquake comes, and yet amid all the persecution, all the suffering that was going on in their life, and this is just an amazing thought to me, because I'm not sure I've ever rejoiced with a toothache, but here these guys are beaten with rods, and the Bible tells us about midnight, they're singing... Praises to the Lord that's just an amazing thought. Um, it's remarkable. Well, that was paul's attitude. What about our attitude? Is it something we should think about i I think so, so I wanted to share these things with you. Um, look at what Peter encourages. I've entitled The Believers Expected an Extraordinary Attitude in Suffering. Um, he writes to a group of people who are already suffering for the gospel of Christ. They're already suffering. And notice what he says. And the, the, Some of these things we really need to underscore in our minds, and we need to teach them to our children. We need to teach them to our kids. There is a cost for following Christ. Um, Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal or trial among you. Don't be surprised. Um, We've lived so uh, comfortably in the United States. COVID's taken us by surprise. What's next? What if it is truly persecution of the church? We don't need to be surprised because it's coming. It's already existed. In other countries. And you can see how it's just setting up. But Peter says look. Don't be surprised. And then he says. Which comes upon you for your testing. <laughs> in other words. The Lord allows these things. You know, we always talk about growing in the grace. And the knowledge of the Lord. And part of that is through suffering. Is through trials. Is through testing. Notice he says. As though some strange thing were happening to you. I mean it just goes with it. The godly in Christ Jesus will what? They'll be persecuted. They'll suffer. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, I love this language, keep on. You know what that means? They were doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on rejoicing. That's crazy. I mean, imagine preaching this message to a bunch of pagans. Pagans. They would think we were outside our minds to have this kind of attitude. But Peter says to these guys who are already suffering, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. I read a story this past week about the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, whose name I cannot pronounce. Look it up this afternoon. See if you can pronounce it. You're going to want to say Richard. It's not Richard. It's Rahard. And it's like Rumbrand. I mean, I can't even say it. You're going to go Rumbrand, but that's not it. He's Romanian. And in the year 1948, on a Sunday while at church, he was kidnapped by the communists. I was just going to focus on one statement he made, but I was like, yeah, let's throw it all in there. Because it reflects his attitude about suffering in general and kind of how that looks. He said... He said this um, after being taken. He said, I knew that even in the van of the secret police, I am in the hands of the Almighty God. Ooh, man, I preach. I'm in the hands of the Almighty God, and this gave quiet to my heart. And then he went on to write something that is phenomenal. You know, we've just looked at the issue of rejoicing and suffering but here's another element to that. He wrote this, hate the evil systems. Hate the evil systems, but love your persecutors. Share with them the gospel message. Doesn't that just kind of stab you in the gut? I mean, let's just admit we're human And if somebody does something to me, you know, is my first thought to share the gospel with them. All right, let's be honest about that. Typically in our culture, it's payback. They did this to me, I'm doing that to them. But but the language of scripture is just completely different. Pray for those that persecute you. What? He took the gospel pretty serious, didn't he? He's like, in the midst of suffering, I'm going to share the gospel message. Well, he not only says, I'm suffering, but notice verse 12. He says, I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed. Look at verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Whew! Do you know I have 33 pages to go through? (laughs) That's what happens when you study. I had 60-something last week. But it's also good. I mean, it's like you just... Listen, it's going to be better than that hamburger you eat this afternoon. There's three observations that come from this particular verse that... Or this particular part of the verse that's very important. The first one is this. um, The word but there is like a flashing light in the text, Right? I mean, you've been going down the road, right, and you turn a corner and there's this flashing light. You're like, hey, what's this for? Well, this is a flashing light in the text. And it draws attention to the fact that while Paul was suffering for his Lord and the gospel, he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't embarrassed. He was not ashamed to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, remember in context, this is what he's arguing to his protege. Hey, look, join the team. Join the team knowing I'm on the team. I'm suffering, right? I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. But I'm not ashamed. I'm suffering, it's real. But, Timothy, I'm not ashamed. Those are two powerful messages. Because he's not denying the suffering. He's not trying to go around it and say, hey, Timothy. uh..." No, he's just flat out telling him. It's like eyeball to eyeball. Look, dude, I'm suffering But I'm not ashamed. And that's exactly what he wanted. That's exactly what he wanted for Timothy. Second observation from this phrase. The testimony of Paul would have carried carried a lot of weight. Remember, he first picks him up on his second missionary journey. Um, The message here was strong for Timothy to consider. I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. W.E. Vine, in commenting on Paul's testimony, wrote these words. Paul's example of freedom from shame, look at this, was intended as an incentive to his younger fellow missionary to show the same confidence and endurance. Hey, look, you think about it. When you're bringing up your children, you're raising those children, You don't want them to fall far from the things that you're convinced of, do you? No. I mean, you want them to fall in line with what you're convinced of. Are they always going to do that? No, they're not always going to do that. What did Paul want? Paul wanted Timothy to fall in line. Hey, look. I'm suffering, but I'm not ashamed. I want you to have that same perspective. Um... I think this particular comment that Vine makes here about um, Paul's example of freedom from shame was intended as an incentive to his younger fellow missionary. This particular comment by Vine and the scripture itself points to the necessity of discipleship. Are you listening to me? It points to the necessity of discipleship And it begs the question, are we all in on that? And how does that look in my life? Have I been discipled? You know, I know some who are older who haven't been discipled and they're embarrassed by that. Don't be. Don't continue to flounder. Come up and say, I need to be discipled. See, It really needs to be caught... By everyone that says I'm a believer in Christ, and it starts in the home, and it starts with discipling our children and discipling our grandchildren. You know, it's Mother's Day, and and um, we think about our children and the blessings that God has given us in our children, but we want our children to be discipled in the things of the Lord. Amen. And our grandchildren. As cute as my three grandchildren are, and they're cute. The thing I want most for them is the Lord in their life. There's a phrase used a good bit in Christianity, it's caught, not taught. I kind of think we ought to think about that a minute. I suggest this. Well, maybe it's caught while being taught. Through instruction in the Word, and listen to this, through instruction in the Word and doing life together. It's Doing life together. I mean, some of the greatest lessons you'll teach your children as you disciple them is them watching you do life. And by the way, just because they don't respond to the things that you and your husband are arguing about does not mean they're not watching. It does not mean they're not forming opinions Sometimes strong ones. So, obviously Paul had had tremendous impact in the life of Timothy. And there's great weight here in the instruction. Um, I, just, I just believe we ought to think about some of that as it relates to discipleship. And kind of how that looks in our lives as Christians. And you see the, the immense um, priority that Paul gave to it. Uh, the amount of attention he gave to it, so much so that he's in this dark, cold dungeon and he writes this letter to his protege. When it would have been easy, and we probably wouldn't have judged him harsh, to go, look, just sit there and lick your wounds. But he doesn't do that. <laughs> I just love that about Paul. Well, let's move on to the third observation in this phrase. The emphasis for Paul was on the whom, not the what. So Paul said, for I know whom, whom I have believed. The word know refers to being aware of or having a clear understanding of something or someone. That's the word that's used here. It refers to being aware of or having a clear understanding of something or someone. Like, for example, if, if you um, owned your own uh, shop as a car mechanic, you're going to know real well the in workings of an engine, I hope, and of a transmission, I hope. And so do those people that bring you their car. You know, in this statement, what Paul's saying, I have a personal knowledge of a person. His focus is not on the what, it's on the whom. I have a personal knowledge of a person named Jesus Christ. You know what you ought to do? Give yourself a test. I'll I'll take the test too. Write down on a sheet of paper after you eat your hamburger, right, that has pepper jack cheese on it. After you do that, this afternoon, write down what you personally know about your Savior. Wouldn't that be a good exercise? What do I know about him? I mean, if we're going to teach our children, right, about him, I need to be able to, well, what about them? him do I want them to know? I have to know it myself. That's why Paul, I think in this in this text here, he's not focusing on himself. He's focusing on the Lord. Because that's exactly where Paul wanted Timothy's mind to be. And guys, the only way that's going to happen is if we spend time with the Lord. <laughs> there is no substitute. I, I know I've probably said it uh I don't know how many times uh, over the last you know it's almost been 25 years that I've been associated with a lot of these folks next March um, and I know I've said it a lot but there is no substitute for getting in the book if you want to know the person of the Lord you have to get in the book just like if a person says well how do I get to know my husband or my wife better spend time with them Hello? I didn't take a whole lot of thought there. Spend time with them. So if I'm going to get to know the person of the Lord, I need to spend time with him. The verb have believed in this phrase refers to accepting something as genuine or real. Paul saying here, I have believed and I continue to believe. Paul's trust was in Christ alone. Wayne Barber writes this. And using the perfect tense, Paul is saying, I first trusted Jesus on the road to Damascus. You all remember that wonderful testimony. But look what he's saying to Timothy. And I still trust him. Right? I still trust him. For I know whom I have believed. I still trust him. In this cold, dark dungeon with my life on earth coming to a close I still trust him that's good stuff because look death is real we don't know how that's going to come about we don't know how that's going to happen in our lives maybe the Lord will come back first I know that's what I'm praying for Lord please come back right I mean Paul was thinking he was going to be a part of that but Lord please come back but if you don't you know what all it is for the believer? They shut their eyes and sleep, and immediately they're with the, pre- with the Lord forever. Immediately. But we don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know. So how will the Lord find us? You've heard that question before. Will he find us trusting? I hope so. I sure want, him, I sure want that to be the case in my life. So I had to ask this question. Um... When I ask myself questions, then I have to answer them, and then I just keep adding to the PowerPoint. Um, so here's the question: What does knowing and trusting Christ look like in a person's life? Here you go. It means consistently fellowshipping with the Lord, consistently fellowshipping with the Lord, and this would include some things that are really practical that that all of us can can think through and kind of measure. How does this look in our lives? This would include reading, studying, meditating on the Word. i give you some verses here. Before I do that, my mom was my spiritual hero. I mean, she just was. Um, she was just unbelievable, the way she lived her Christian life. I mean, she was a walking testimony for the Lord. You know, that's a blessing that I don't take for granted because there's a lot of homes where moms haven't been that. But I can look back and I can just say, man, Lord, thank you so much for those times that I witnessed my mom sitting on the end of the couch opening her, her Bible and reading and studying. Where I witnessed my mom sitting on the end of the couch or in her chair just, just praying. Um, thank you, Lord. So for us, consistently fellowshipping with the Lord would involve reading the Word. I put this one in here on purpose. Until I come give attention, Paul told Timothy, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. You're like, okay, hold on a second. Dad, I thought you were talking about me reading the word I am. But I'm also talking about you being exposed to the word being read. Can you imagine this? That there are churches out there where the word of God is not read on a Sunday morning. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. But if you're going to be exposed to the reading of Scripture beyond your own home then you need to be in a place where the scriptures are lifted high. And then what does that point to? The importance of what? Being together. Being together. I know you're looking forward to it. A couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be different. The Lord will give us grace to make it through. But not only reading, studying. Studying. Studying the scriptures. How many of you do that? You study the scriptures. And Paul told Timothy to rightly divide the word of truth. I wrote down, be willing to sweat. My middle son, when he played baseball, he was a good baseball player. he would often come home when he was in high school and even in college when he was here in the summer times he would often come home and his hands would be bleeding from hitting so much he was committed to his craft and he was good at it can I encourage the teachers out there real quick I don't care if you're teaching these little munchkins that are three or teaching the big munchkins that are 73. Study the word. Give them the book. Give them the book. One of my favorite teachers in college was Rick Oldsby. He just, he had a desire to to know the word. And he just, man, he just, I can say this, he passed it on to me. He did. Oftentimes he'd just break out, throw some verses down and say, hey men, what does it say? We're like, what do you mean, what does it say? (laughs) You know, we were learning. So it's reading the scriptures, it's studying the scriptures, it's meditating on the scriptures. There's a lot in Psalms about meditating, but this is one of my favorite ones because all these things point to meditating on the word. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence... If anything worthy of praise. Where are you finding that? The book. Meditate, dwell on these things. This is what we should not do. Be so consumed with what's going on in our world right now, which maybe you're as sick of it as I am, that you've turned your attention to meditating on the book. Well, not only is there the script, are there the scriptures, but if we're going to fellowship with the Lord, there has to be prayer, consistently talking to the Lord. And i found over the years, my mom was a great example of this. Women just seem to be better prayer warriors. This is the truth. The Apostle Paul talks about this issue of coming to the Lord. I really like this text. He says, rejoice in the Lord. What is that next word? Always. I heard you out there. Always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Man, all that ought to lead to this next part. (laughs) Right? If the Lord's near, be anxious for nothing, get rid of the anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I always tell people, if you if you want verse seven, you have to do verse six. You want the peace that God alone can give? Do verse six. Give it all to Him, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard. That word there is a picture of a Roman garrison, about six thousand soldiers will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's pretty good stuff. I don't have just I don't have Roman soldiers guarding my heart. I have the Lord doing that. Well, and lastly, a life of knowing and trusting Christ means consistently living a life separated to the Lord. So the verses I have for that. Um, these demand like more time for you to reflect on. We don't have time to talk about them this morning. But really you need to think through these. Because Paul in writing to the Corinthian church. Reminded them therefore we also have as our ambition. Whether at home or absent. To be pleasing to him. Because the word. The word. Next word is for, but it's because. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to condemnation. The, the bema seed is not condemnation. But the believer does not escape judgment. We'll get more into that as we get into the last part of chapter four. For we must all appear. Before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer, you have an appointment before the judgment seat. Think about that. And it's an appointment you cannot cancel. It's coming. It's great to know you won't be condemned, but notice what Paul says to these believers. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing and trusting Christ means I need to give some attention to to my life and how I need to be separated as a believer because I'm going to be standing before the one who saved me. So Paul has said to Timothy, as a member of the team, I'm suffering. I'm not ashamed. And now he says, look at this last thing. He says, I'm confident. Now, don't misread that. He's not being arrogant. Okay? Okay focusing on himself, his focus is clearly on the Lord. There's two pronouns that give that away. He says, and I am convinced that he is able, verse 12, he has the necessary power, that's the meaning, to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So there are three more observations just from this phrase. Let me give them to you. Number one, the word convinced refers to a firm, strong conviction. A firm, strong strong conviction. Am convinced refers to a point in time. I am convinced. When was Paul convinced? At salvation. And you know what he's telling Timothy? I was convinced and I continue to be convinced. That's good stuff. I was convinced, and I still am convinced. It meant in Paul's life to be convinced so much so that he put confidence in the Lord. It's a picture of putting confidence, really the word is, a picture of putting confidence in something or someone. So when you go to sit in a chair, like here's this stool here. I'm confident. Wow, it made a noise. My confidence just went down. I'm confident that it's going to hold me. Right? There's a few here this morning, like Earl and Susan Dunner, with us. They're confident that the Lord's going to hold them up in that chair. Right? So there's confidence in things. But that's not what Paul's talking about in this passage. His confidence was in someone, and that someone being Christ. I wrote this down. In other words, Paul's testimony about Christ Jesus was settled It was settled. It was settled. I'm convinced, he says. His position was fixed. He absolutely trusted in the Lord. Completely. Do you know he expresses that in another passage of Scripture that we're all familiar with. This word convinced, it's used right here. Look what he says. For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. will be able to separate, and notice he doesn't say me. He says us, all who are in Christ, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second observation from this phrase, the word guard means to keep, secure, protect. Look what he says. And I am convinced that he is able to guard. The word is a military term. And it pictures one who is alert while guarding. You hope a military person is alert while guarding. Um, If you've been told to guard guard, people. You hope the one that's been told to guard these folks will guard them. Um, But there is one who guards perfectly. Did you know that? Um, The Apostle Paul viewed the Lord Jesus as that, the all-powerful guardian and protector. In fact, in John's Gospel there's a great example of this word guard in the high priestly prayer. In the context of the high priestly prayer, when the Lord Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, While I was with them, meaning the disciples, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I what? What does it say? I guarded them. I guarded them. That was the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And he says, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Well, Paul says, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard Then the third observation, the word entrusted literally refers to a deposit being made, to a deposit being made. Paul says, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That word entrusted is an interesting word in the original language. It's an accounting term. And it pictures one entrusting another with their deposit. Kind of like similar for us. When we take our money to the bank, we entrust it, right, to the bank, to the people. We hand it to someone, and we're entrusting that they're going to hold on to that money. And we sure are hoping they hold on to it, right? But, I mean, how many times do you walk up to a teller going, I'm entrusting you with this? I mean, who does that? You might start after today. Um, it is giving something to another person believing they will protect it. Wouldn't that be cool to walk up to a teller and say, I'm entrusting this to you because I believe you're going to protect it. They'd be like, what are you talking about? But that's what Paul's saying here. He says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Well, there are two different ways um, that this phrase, entrusted, uh, is interpreted You always run into things like this in Scripture where you have different views of things. It can be frustrating to you, but it's not to me. It's like, okay, let's study it. Um, There's two different versions. Um, The New American Standard, the NIV, and the NKJV, New King James and others, translated, emphasizing Paul and trusting to God. Okay? Which, that's what it looks like to me. I'm just being honest with you. That's what I see. Um, he's talking about him guarding. So, but there's another view, to be fair. There's another view. The other view is, that the, is found in the ESV. It's, it's found in the translations. ESV, GWT, TEV, along with others, translated, emphasizing what God entrusted to Paul. Um, let me just say that I lean heavily to door number one. And this is why. Look at the personal pronoun usage in the text. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that who? He. He is able to guard what I have entrusted to who? To him. So it seems to me that the language of the text points to the fact that Paul was entrusting something to the Lord. Um, If the emphasis was on Paul guarding, then the language would be like it is in verse 14 where Paul tells Timothy, guard, guard through the Holy Spirit. And the understood subject there is you. You guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Um, So I really lean strongly toward view number one. But there are questions here that we have to ask in this last phrase. Um, I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. What had Paul entrusted to the Lord? He doesn't tell us, does he? The Bible doesn't say. But it's clear that Paul has confidence in the Lord to entrust this to him. I believe the answer is pretty simple. Um, I think he's entrusting his life and his future. I, I, I mean, if you look at the context... That's what's going on. He's entrusting his life as a believer to the Lord. Ultimately looking to what? That great salvation being delivered from the presence of sin into the presence of the Lord. I believe Paul simply is saying, I've entrusted my life to the Lord. And it kind of jumps off the pages then, Philippians 1, doesn't it? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, that's Paul's theme in his life. But if I am to live on the flesh, this will mean, what, fruitful labor for me? So I think what Paul's entrusting to the Lord is his own life. Um, That's something we need to think about, trusting our life to the Lord. And then finally this morning, the second question, what day is Paul referring to in this verse? Look what it says at the end of the verse. "What I have entrusted to him until that day? What day? Well, there are two other times where this phrase is used in this book. And we're going to give attention to it more when we come to those verses, especially when we get to chapter 4. But the day that Paul, I believe, is referring to, and most theologians would say is true, is that Paul is looking to the day of the appearing of the Lord. To being in the presence of the Lord. But they even go beyond that. Um, which I think one eighteen and, and 4.8 kind of allude to. And that is not only the day, the appearing of the Lord. Being in the presence of the Lord. But what happens after that point? When the Lord takes his church, what happens at that point? Well, judgment does. Judgment in heaven. Judgment on earth because it's interesting in verse 18, in terms of um, Onesiphorus, he says, The Lord grant mercy, grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. So, obviously, there's a lot in that phrase, and we want to pay attention to it. We're going to talk about it. But the apostle Paul was extremely confident in that day, that the Lord would come and that there would be judgment, because he writes about it, not just in this passage, but in other passages, which we will allude to as we come uh, to chapter 4. And so the Apostle Paul is clearly, clearly entrusting his life, not only then, but the future, to the Lord. And that's exactly what he wants for Timothy. He wants Timothy, hey, Timothy, entrust your life to the Lord. Give it to him. Um, I want to close with three questions this morning, all right? There's three questions for you to consider, and then we'll be done, and you can go cook your meal, and the ones that are in the room here are expecting the meal to be done when they get home, all right? So here's the questions for us to consider this morning from verse 12. Have we all joined the team of suffering for the gospel? Probably have to think about that one a good bit. Secondly, what does knowing... And trusting Christ look like in your life? How does that look right now? And then finally, the third question have we entrusted our life to the Lord? I want to close this morning um, telling you about my mom, just real briefly. Um, I grew up in a, a Navy family, we moved around a lot whenever I was young. Um, my mom married a military man, and uh, we started out in San Diego, California. I was born in San Diego, California on October 9, 1964. You know, when you're scrolling down to, to, to fill out information, you have to go a long way down now to 1964. And then we moved from there, and we lived in San Francisco for a few months, and then we moved all the way across the country to Newport, Rhode Island, And then we moved to Lake Charles, Louisiana, which is another story in itself. Um, My dad had to choose from Kansas City, Miami, and Lake Charles, and he picked Lake Charles. Right in the middle of Cajun country, you know. A lot of good food, though. But I remember as a young boy growing up in southwest Louisiana, where the majority of the people are Roman Catholic. Where hearing the gospel is kind of sparse. I remember the commitment my mom made, not only to myself and my sister, but the commitment she made to the children in the neighborhood. When we were young, we had five-day clubs. I don't know if you guys are familiar with with that concept, but but what it is 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 you have. Um, clubs at your, a club at your house and children come from the neighborhood and the gospel is shared. And I remember my mom over and over again, every summer we'd have five day clubs, backyard Bible club, whatever you want to call it. These kids would come and we'd have a good time doing a lot of different things. But you know, the main focus of that event was the Lord and the gospel. And I watched my mom over and over and over again, be faithful to that. Well, I was thinking about what Paul's looking for. If you're just going to wrap it up, what's he looking for? He's looking for his protege to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and not to be ashamed. Be willing to join the team, Timothy, no matter, no matter what's around the corner because God's with you. He's with you. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Let's pray together. Lord, there's so much here in your word. I mean, I could just spend all day talking about you. There's just so much for us to consider. There was much for Timothy to consider as Paul penned these words. Um, But it's very, very evident that Paul's trust was in you. He not only preached it, but he lived it. And Lord, he didn't have an easy life as we would look at it. There was a lot of suffering that went on in his life. And yet he remained faithful to the end. Help us not to look at these folks like they didn't really exist or they're kind of superhuman. They were just humans. <laughs> but the difference, I think, in them, from what I can see in just studying your word, is that they were really convinced of you. That marked everything they did and didn't do. And so, I pray that we would be really convinced of you each day. That it wouldn't just be a time we could point back to in the past of, oh, I was convinced of Christ when I first got saved, but haven't thought much about that since. Help us to be men and women who um, consider heavily what... You have done for us, Lord. And as we close today, I just want to thank you for our moms. I want to thank you that my mom is with you right now. She's in your presence. And Lord, we, um, we just want to thank you for every mom out there today. And I pray for them, Lord. I pray that you would help them to stay close to you, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. And um, I just pray for their protection. It's a different... Time for moms to be bringing up kids and a lot to consider. I just, I just pray that they would stay close to you and Lord, I pray for the older moms that they would be good testimonies to the ones that are younger. And Lord, just help us all to, to walk with you this week if we know you. And Lord, if there's some watching that don't know you, I pray that today could even be that day of salvation for them and trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. All these things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
1: empty
2: us just as we are and when we trust in christ and we trusting what god is doing in our life he will always take us as we are you know and we think of mother's day another picture of that is what a mother's love for the children are children aren't perfect but yet that mother's going to love those children through all the downside and the upside and that's what makes them so so special and so we'd like to just wish all of our mothers a happy Mother's Day and we're just going to close out with another video, a short video and this video is one that really I think stresses what uh, what Mother's Day is all about, about what mothers really are, so please uh, watch this video and then we'll be dismissed